and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we talk about canon, legends, and beyond. Tonight we'll be talking about two books for the price of one. We are going to talk about The Queen's Shadow and The Queen's Peril, both by author E.K. Johnston. But before we dive into that, Chad, why don't you tell us about the spoilers? This is just your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. Uh, we're going to spoil stuff. We're going to assume that you have done the reading or don't care. We will also possibly be spoiling other things from other Star Wars media, books, comics, TV, whatever. So uh, you've been warned. Um, Ryan, any news this past couple weeks? There's always news. There's always news. <laughs> now, some of it definitely falls into the rumor category, but yep. those are always fun to speculate about. Um, so in stuff we do know 100%, uh, Freefall, the new Poe Dameron book was released along with the second of the new, I guess you call them audio dramas of Dr. Afra. So both of those have come out. I'm sure we'll cover at least one of them. Um, so that was our publishing news i'm interested in freefall yeah i am too um and other publishing news they have delayed the mandalorian book um it was originally slated to come out this at some point this year they said late 2020 but it has been delayed until next year um but it's also been confirmed, I think we've talked about not really knowing what the book was, but they have said it's not an ad- adaptation of the first season. Um, it tells stories of the characters that appear in the first season. So whatever that means. Um, like a certain a, point of view type of thing? or I, They don't really say. Okay. Um, so we just know that it definitely takes place with those characters and it's going to be new stuff. Um, along with the Mandalorian, it got 15 Emmy nominations, which is insane. insane. That's crazy. Um, Including, including best drama. Yeah. (laughs) There's rumors. It's going to win a bunch of stuff. Uh, and one thing I thought was interesting and kind of part of that Emmy talk, they, I think, I can't remember who, I think variety did the, um, interview, but they interviewed, uh, Esposito and one of his big quotes was the saber. He's talking about the dark saber. And he kind of talked about how it's going to be a lot in season two, which we already knew. But the quote is the saber is a key to Moff Gideon's past, which possibly has a lot to do with where he comes from and his desire to build a planet and bring it back together. To me, that reads like he's a Mandalorian. He's a Mandalorian. Yep. And so that will be really interesting to see. Um, in video game news, they announced there's going to be a new VR project from the people that did uh, Vader, Immortal, and it's going to be a Tales from Galaxy's Edge. And so I guess what they've said is the idea, not everyone can go to Disney, so they're going to kind of bring in a lot of aspects from Batu, which they love it, and yeah. tell some stories from it. Um and I think you're kind of like a bounty hunter kind of person that goes around and does stuff. So we'll see. I mean, I think the big video game everybody's anxiously awaiting is Squadrons, which we've talked about. And the review copies have come out, and apparently it is amazing. Um, people are speaking really, really highly of it. Yeah, I've seen some uh, Star Wars Explained did a pretty chunky gameplay video. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they, he got to play it. Uh, Alex over there got to play it early, and he had some really nice things to say about it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've only seen the trailer. I haven't seen a, a playthrough video. I'll have to watch that because it already looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, in movie news, in the long list of delays, our next Star Wars movie has been moved from December 20, 2022 to 2023. And then that also backed up the other three movies that are sitting on the slates. Um, they still haven't really revealed what that movie is. Um, we do know that Watiti has announced that he's writing actively. So he's in development on his. And Johnson also has said his movie is still in development. So odds are it's one of those two um, because we don't really know of anything else that's in development that heavy. So we'll have to wait and see what it will be. Yeah, the Weiss and Benioff thing went away. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, it's got to be one of those. I mean, it it, it does. Um, it's worth pointing out that these delays are more COVID related than anything yeah. else. Like they oh, Disney yeah. pushed back a lot of stuff. Yeah. And Mandalorian delaying the book. There was a lot of like people freaking out that, oh, it needs rewrites because that book's got to be done. I mean, it was scheduled right. to come out here shortly. But I mean, looking at Del Rey's kind of publishing schedule um you know you just had poe come out you've got september 1st the new thrawn book will come out and then there's a couple other like junior stuff will come out and then high republic will start in january so my guess is they looked at their slate again and said eh, we're getting real crowded in here and decided to move it off um and i think it makes more sense for the mandalorian let it space it out a little bit with your seasons keep people yeah, excited about now. it Get it closer to season two. Yeah. Um, and then in our rumor section. Here we go. We'll, Let's do it. <laughs> we'll take a week off from the Kathleen Kennedy drama because there's always Kathleen Kennedy drama about who's going to be uh, in charge of Lucasfilm come next year. There are two shows that are heavily rumored for Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Let's go with the more far-fetched one, at least I think. Mm-hmm. The first is that. There's a rumor mm-hmm. <laughs> that a Luke Skywalker show is in development. Uh, <laughs> that's not the one I'm excited for. I'm more excited about the other one. The Luke Skywalker one is the one I think is the weirdest. Like, there, I just don't believe it. I don't believe it. But honestly, mm-hmm. I'd probably watch Adventures of Young Luke. I mean, I'd watch it, but I'm not excited for it. Yeah. 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 So we'll see on that one. Now, But the other one... Which is super exciting, and God, I hope they do it, is they are looking to continue the story universe of Solo with a Lando show. And I'll tell you, if they don't name that thing the uh, Calrissian Chronicles, Chronicles. (laughs) they are messing up. Uh, You know, Donald Glover has expressed interest in doing it. Now, Ron Howard has tweeted out that he has not talked to anybody about this. Um, that wouldn't surprise me, though. Ron Howard was brought on as a work for right. hire director on that movie. Like he wouldn't have to be involved in the in the show. Yeah. So, God, if they did it, though, it would be well, so good. the rumors is it would be a Lando show, but it would bring in Alden Ehrenreich and it would bring in, you know, I'm guessing uh, I always forget the guy's name who plays Chewie now. Um, oh, he's it's a crazy name but um yeah i heard it would be like hopefully amelia clark too i don't uh-huh. know but but yeah now, i would i would love that also in the rumored casting of what they're saying is it'll be daniel glover and billy d williams somehow 
Or Donald Glover. Yeah, you know. Oh, Donald Glover. <laughs> you know. Whoever. Oh, or that guy from Lethal Weapon. Maybe they'll bring him in to be another version of Lando. It'll oh, be so Lando. It'll be Lando on his last day. He's done. So, what you, so okay. So if if you're if you're correct, then you de- you definitely do the Calrissian Chronicles, and you have old Lando in an Indiana Jones, young Indiana Jones chronicle style. That's what I'm thinking. Like, as a book, as as bookends. Uh huh. Telling stories to like a bunch of kids in that stupid sand crawler from Episode Nine, and yeah. like. You know, he's telling these old stories or I, I you never do it, but you get like John Boyega and uh, uh, Oscar Isaacs to just like sit at his feet, like at a campfire. Well, you put uh, what's her name? Jaina. Jan- that's what I was thinking. That was yeah. my first thought. Oh, Jana, like, yes. him, him flying around with her telling her stories while they look for her parents. Yeah. I mean, that story is just oh, be dope. There waiting. And so that would be very interesting. That would be dope, actually. Wow. Like, him and Jana, him, him and Jane are running around, and then we're 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 watching the young adventures. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be, you know, I love Solo, so I'd definitely be down for that. That's, uh, I love that movie to death. So I, I would definitely be down for more uh, in that timeline. Yeah. As actors. Um. That seems more plausible, but still not entirely plausible. Yeah, I mean, I think Disney Plus has realized, especially with the Mandalorian getting so many awards, like, and people have said it, the future of Star Wars, at least right now, really does seem to be TV on Disney Plus. And so they are just, I think, scrambling to get out as much as they can. Now, I mean, they've got their other shows they've already announced that they probably should start on, but, you know, they're going to keep pumping development out as long as they do good. Just I mean, give Filoni the keys and and turn them loose. Well, and what's so interesting? It doesn't always have to be Filoni though. It doesn't have to always be Filoni. Other people can do it. No, no, um, I'm saying give him the keys. He can be the new Kathleen Kennedy because I trust him with Star Wars 100. percent He should be the head of Star Wars TV at the very least. Mm-hmm. Maybe Lucasfilm Television. Well, and now that they have the volume, like which for those who haven't watched, the volume is how they film the Mandalorian. It's a big screen thing, so they don't have to go places. Like, why shut down production? Just finish a season of the Mandalorian, move another show into the volume, and just constantly keep that thing moving and going. Because it saves you having to travel, it saves you everything. Yeah. Well I, I am on record on our on our uh our flagship podcast, uh Needless Things, saying multiple times that I don't really care if there are any other Star Wars movies, just give me shows. So the more the more we get into the the more people uh, it seems like people are starting to listen to me even though they're not actually listening to me but they're starting <laughs> to think the same way that you're right the future is TV anyway for most things and you know, as we've seen this week with the, them announcing Disney announcing that you're going to be able to rent Mulan on Disney Plus um, uh-huh. and these persistent rumors that the same thing's going to happen to Black Widow movies are movies are uh, and this hurts me to say movies are kind of dying and so the in in this is this uh pandemic is kind of killing them so this move to television there's not going to be a difference between tv and movies there already isn't but there's definitely not going to be a difference soon yeah so who cares i i will miss the big screen experience until that's safe to have again because i I do i would absolutely go pay to sit in a theater for eight hours or nine hours or however long it takes to watch all of the Mandalorian on a big ass screen with huge surround sound speakers. Yeah. And see, I mean, I've got a hundred and was it or a 120 screen and a 4k projector and all that stuff. 
Yeah. But it's still not the same. It's no, just it's not. not. No, no. I don't get me wrong. I this is the first year of my life where I hold have not gone to a movie theater, like that I can remember at least since I was probably four years old. It's the first year I haven't. I used to go to the movies um, in my height in L.A. I'd go three, four times a week. So I miss a movie. I I love a movie theater more than almost anywhere. But I'm the writing's on the wall as well. And um, I just think Star Wars on TV. Makes sense. It just it just makes sense, especially now that we can do it with the technology. Yeah. So. And then our final collecting news, um, all the new collect toys we covered on the main podcast. So if you want to go check that out, you can hear us talk about all the new Star Wars toys. But on a personal note, my Plucoon has still not come from GameStop Ooh. and it's becoming an issue. <laughs> <laughs> so if all our. Listeners can just keep me in their thoughts while I wait but for Plucoon. Thoughts and prayers, right? Yeah. Is it possible that is it possible that you or you're the only one who ordered one, so therefore they just start, don't care? No. So he's like the biggest stupid figure in the wave. Everybody wants him, and so you can't pre-order him anywhere else. He's selling for already like sixty bucks. Oh, it's driving me nuts. Here's your problem. You ordered from GameStop. Well, you know they're. They're close, and generally they're really good. Like my Zeb is coming in, so oh, we will Can't see. We I'm that. just saying, I I got my uh, lack of faith Hallmark ornament in like two days. <laughs> oh, well, that is all we've got for news today. That was that was quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I said I I I've been all week waiting to talk about uh, the idea of a Han Solo Lando show, um, which makes me very excited. Um, so this week, uh, like Beth said, we read uh, two books um, by E.K. Johnson. Uh, but before we get into those, I wanted to have a brief conversation because these books, they create a um, they kind of bookend Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. Um, uh, one takes place before and one takes place after. And one thing I've noticed throughout the last 20 years, um, and this is not something I would have expected, you know, May of 1999 is that the reputation of the Phantom Menace has gotten a whole lot better uh, than it was when it came out. Um, uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit. Like, what are our feelings about the Phantom Menace now, 21 years later? I mean, I know there's a whole generation of kids. We joked when they came out, but it was true that there was a generation of kids that grew up with the prequels as their Star Wars films. Um, and and so they have a much more uh, friendly, affectionate attitude towards the phantom menace but beth like what is your all these years later what do you think about the phantom menace you know after reading so many books that take place during the prequels and of close of course with the clone wars happening also at the same time it's there's been so much that has gone into not making all of the movies easier to watch because Sorry, but the Clone Wars still not or the um the second movie still not great. I don't think it's ever going to be great. It, it Revenge is not. of the hmm? It is not ever going to be great. No. Um Revenge of the Sith isn't really gaining anything for me from reading books, but yeah, The Phantom Menace is it's much easier to watch now because I went back and I rewatched all of the movies again and I said, "You know what? This isn't as terrible as I remember." And I don't remember it being terrible when I saw it in the theater because I was just so friggin' excited to have some Star Wars again that it didn't hit me until later that it was not a great movie. 
And yeah, Jar Jar is always going to annoy me. But when I'm reading books, I don't have to hear his voice. So that's fine. That helps a lot. But even later, he doesn't. Going back and watching it later, he doesn't annoy me as much as he used to. Jake Lloyd does not annoy me as much as he used to. Because I've seen the worse alternatives also. Um, I think things like Master and Apprentice and both of these books, even though these are not my favorite Star Wars books, they both, all of that is happening in the Star Wars universe book world now has been going into making not just the prequels as a whole better, but specifically that movie is becoming better. How about you, Ray? (sighs) Phantom Menace, you know, I definitely had that same excitement watching it and then kind of went back later the same and, didn't care for it as much, but I mean, it's definitely aged better, I think, than the other two. And, you know, there's some solid stuff in the Phantom Menace. Um, Qui-Gon is great. Uh, Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan is great. Um, I like the slave stuff. Um, and I'm one that like, I don't hate midichlorians. I think the idea is really interesting. I think it could be explored a lot more. Um, I don't think it was necessary to verbalize it, but I completely agree. I think it could be. I think it could be interesting if they'd done it differently, but Darth Plagueis helped a lot with that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, from a pure movie perspective, midichlorians gave them a way to quickly identify Anakin as being really powerful. That he, you know, has this huge level greater than Yoda. So we identify him that we need him. Um, there's stuff that, I mean, is obviously terrible. New gun rate, the Trade Federation, they're awful. Like, the accents, the it's just all bad. Um, Why they're they're they racist speak, caricatures. Why do they speak English when they're alone? Like, if English, if basic, is clearly not their native tongue, given their accents when they speak it, fine. But when they're alone, why do they talk that way? You could ask that about so many different races in Star Wars, though. In a lot of sci-fi, fair. But, like, it just seems... Uh, yeah, that always bugged me. Yeah. I mean, the action in it is good. I mean, obviously, everyone knows Duel of the Fates is amazing. Um, but, yeah, there's just some stuff that... Like Jar Jar, certain stuff with Jar Jar... I will never forgive the weird dancing scene at the end of the pod race where the little, the the little rodent does the arms up and down. Oh, that's so great. Now it did give us wizard, which is awful in the movie, but I sure do use it a lot, especially when like sarcastically (laughs) saying something. I think the best thing that it gave us is this is pod racing. Yeah. that's. I hear that. I hear that all the time when, doing completely unrelated Star Wars things. <laughs> if, if someone's enjoying something, they'll go, no, this is pod racing. Yeah. And well, I and like Phantom, that. Phantom Menace makes you think, like, if they had followed Attack of the Clones up, or if they had followed Phantom Menace with Attack of the Clones, and that had been a stronger movie, and followed a little more on certain things, like the slavery stuff, and kind of explored some of that more, I think that would have been interesting. And they... They kind of oh, did. We see well, it once we start talking about the books. I got a big stick in point about this slavery thing. <laughs> oh yeah. I, for me, I, uh, I waited in line for like twelve hours for Phantom Menace tickets all night, 
And then we stood in line for like eight hours to see the movie before it opened on opening night. And I saw it five times in the first 24 hours. (laughs) And I was always aware that it wasn't a great movie. And the, you know, Jar Jar makes you roll your eyes. Anakin makes you groan. But I but it was always worth sitting through to get to the last half hour to get to Duel of the Fates, you know, like to get to the whole the whole ending it was always worth it. I was like, yeah, this part sucks, but just wait till you see Maul v. Kenobi. Mm-hmm. And but I, I do agree with both of you over the years. Yes, a combination of other materials and other stories um, like the ones we're talking about today, but also just I don't know. There's something about that film. When I go back and watch it, it's much more pleasant to watch than the second two. Um, it's It's much more. It's easy. It's easier to watch, even though it, it still has those groan-inducing moments. Um, I also have an affection for it because it's the last Star Wars film shot on film. It was actually shot in 35 millimeter, um, where uh, Attack of the Clones was all digital. It was shot at a bunch of sets. You know, people make fun of the prequels, but they were, he built like 150 sets for Phantom Menace. And so there's something a little more old-fashioned about Phantom Menace that I enjoy. That, you know, the, all the CG nonsense that people, you know, kind of bitch about in the prequels, that doesn't really kick in till Attack of the Clones. Like, there's plenty of it in Phantom Menace, but no more than any other movie of that scale would be. And I don't know, the movie feels more handmade to me. I also have, this is probably controversial, or maybe completely wrong, but if there had been a more positive reaction to Phantom Menace, I think Attack of the Clones would be a different movie. I think he made some course corrections. Um, now, obviously, one of those is a good thing because Jar Jar would have had a bigger part <laughs> and he scaled that down. But I don't know. I feel like he he uh, he got burned a little bit on Phantom Menace. And that's why I feel like two and three, his heart isn't in him as much. But it just uh, I don't know. I, I have developed a genuine affection for the movie while acknowledging that objectively it is not a good movie. And the 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 dialogue will always be bad. And most of the performances will always be bad. But even a um, but, bad Star Wars movie is still a good movie to, for Star Wars. Yeah, no, and because I, you're I, still I, getting a good, you're still getting a Star Wars movie. I would rather have a not great Star Wars movie than have no Star Wars. No, I agree, and I, uh, you know, I as as high as my bar is for a lot of movies for Star Wars, my bar is very low. And but for Phantom Menace, like you said, the the, the other than the two headed thing, other than Greg Proops. <laughs> Other than uh, and I love Greg Proops, but other than his thing, um, I think the pod race is is totally wizard and it's it's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I think obviously the last half hour is great. I don't even I don't you know, I wish Anakin wasn't accidentally saving the day at the end. I wish he was doing it on purpose. I think it would have been fine. But I think there's a lot of a lot of super cool stuff in it. And um, and like I said, it feels it, it, it said it feel it's odd to have nostalgia for Phantom Menace, but I do when I watch it. It's I, and it was 21 years ago. That seemed it makes sense that you would. But it just seems like it happened like recently. I know. That's what's the most upsetting to me is realizing how old it is and still feeling fresh feelings about it. And therefore, how old you are. Yeah, that's the other part, too, because <laughs> um, realizing that this movie can make me still feel some kind of way. Makes me go, yeah. God, I'm old. I, I think and I love Star Wars too much. I think it's the most enjoyable of the prequels. And and that's I never would have said that in 99. I would not have said that in 2002 after I saw uh, Attack of the Clones because I came out of Attack of the Clones psyched that it wasn't Phantom Menace. And now I look back and I go, 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Phantom Menace so, is just kind of more, it goes down smoother. The last time I watched all three movies together, I watched every bit of The Phantom Menace. I skipped through big chunks of Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, uh, like I said, the real change comes in two and three. It's, they're different. There's a different tone to them. There's a different style to them. Um, I don't I don't know. There's something about it. Phantom Menace still seems, for lack of a better word, pure to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and purely Star Wars in a way that maybe two and three don't. So, But I just thought we'd hit up on that because here we are. We're going to talk about these two books about Padme Amidala. Um, in my opinion, over when it comes to Padme, one of the failings of writers over the last 21 years, and that's including Lucas, has been their focus on trying to convince us that Padme is Leia's mom. More so than kind of a real person on her own. You know, uh, they, they do a lot to like make her just I always call her Leia Jr., even though she's her mother. But just the idea that like they want they give her all of Leia's traits, basically, to show that she's Leia's mom. And we'll get them. We talked to Queen's Peril, my least favorite part about Queen's Peril, actually, which is strange. But um, so I'm going to go ahead and do a, a, a quick synopsis. So the first book is Queen's Shadow. It's the one that came out first. It came out in. What year? It came out in uh, nine, uh, 2009. 19, I mean. 2019. Okay, it's only a year old. Awesome. Uh, so Queen Shadow finds us with Padne, Padme. Is it Naber? Naberi? Naber. Naberi. Naberi. After the events of the Phantom Menace, waiting for the election results that will determine who will succeed her as Queen of Naboo. After Queen Relata. Relata? Is, uh, don't don't ask me. You read the audio or you heard the audio. I, I, not I me. did, but that was uh, is coronated. She asked Padme to run for Republic Senate. Ever the public servant, she agrees. As Amidala's trust, trusty handmaidens go their separate ways in the galaxy. Uh, Sashe is elected to the legislature. Rabe to a music goes to music school. Erte is doing a study on Gungans for some reason. Uh, she recruits a few new protectors to escort her for her new job on Coruscant, including the ill-fated Corday. Uh, only Sabe, her most trusted bodyguard, keeps working with her, and Padme sends her to Tatooine to end slavery and find a particular virginal slave woman in Mos Espa. <laughs> uh, on Coruscant, Padme deals with the ineffectiveness of the Senate, the capital city gossip scene, and a somewhat clumsy attempt on her life. She makes friends with Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, and Rush Clovis. Uh, she does a bunch of stuff that actually are directly referencing deleted scenes from Attack of the Clones. Meanwhile, Sabe finds that ending a millennia-old practice is perhaps a task beyond her abilities. Um, But she manages to fall in love, so I I guess that's a win. And the end of the book takes us past Padme's funeral to when we see Captain Panaka become governor of Naboo, and he will eventually become an imperial moth, for people who don't know that. And Sabe vows to find Padme's killer. And and, and then uh, she gets a call from Bail Organa, and we don't really know what that's about. But if you want to see more of uh, Sabe trying to find Padme's killer, I recommend the current Darth Vader comic by Greg Pak, which is at this very moment, this very week. We're recording this on a Wednesday. Today came out an issue of Darth Vader where uh, it's continuing the story, and it's directly related to these books. So – like I said, this is the first book. E.K. Johnson, of course, wrote the um, Ahsoka Tano novel. And uh, with this book, she's taking on another uh, female Star Wars heroine, but one that's not as nearly as well-loved as Ahsoka. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you guys is, does this book make you like Padme better? So let me get this out of the way right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My views on Padme are greatly skewed by my total celebrity crush on Natalie Portman. (laughs) That is is legitimate. That is legitimate. 
random menace. (laughs) That is legit. Um, I've always liked Padme. Uh, And yeah, she's not as fleshed out. I'm glad to see her, you know, get more story from her. But I've always loved Padme. I've got one of the big jokes in our house when we moved, you know, I've got all my action figures. But I own straight dolls of Padme, like Barbies. Yeah, Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, still got them. I can see them right from where I'm sitting. So, yeah, I'm a fan of Padme. I'm glad to see her finally getting a little more to do. And, you know, the Leia thing is absolutely true. They've people have struggled to give her more character. And I think this these books have really helped. Beth, I have a feeling you're not a giant Padme fan. So. It's not Padme's I've known, fault. I've, know, I've known you for a long time. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I. It's not Padme's fault. I don't like her or I don't dislike her. It's just that I just don't care about her as much. And I, I think it's for a very, very long time in the Star Wars universe, or at least a new canon universe, been really difficult to for certain authors and George Lucas to write female characters that I can get behind and really care about. And these books help to an extent to flesh her out. I mean, they obviously help to flesh her out, but they go a little bit further to help make me care about her. But I do find myself caring more about the handmaidens still than I do about her. Where I'm like, what's going to happen to Sabe? Oh my God, (laughs) not Sabe. Uh, I do agree the handmaidens are the best part of the, both these books. These are these books are really about the handmaidens. Yeah. Uh, at at at, uh, at the end of the day, so I I, I completely agree with that. I, I these books I really like these two books. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that. But I I really like them. And one of the things I do like about them is I do feel like because um, you know, when we covered the when we covered the Thrawn trilogy on our first episode, we talked about how um, you know, Padme is in Thrawn Alliance. Allegiance. What was it called? Uh-huh. The second one? Alliances. Alliances. And I don't think Timothy Zahn did a very good job with her at all. No. And she was very uninteresting in that book. And I think what E.K. Johnson has brought to the character is, yes, a female point of view. Um, uh, E.K. Johnson, I believe, is more of a YA novelist. And I think that that's actually appropriate for telling the story. I mean, she's 14 years old when she's elected queen. So, like, it should almost read like a teen book you know <laughs> like like yeah she's, there, it's, there, there were, were a bunch times of when they were there were times when they were running around being teenagers and i was like oh my god what the hell oh wait right. they're 14 right they're actually 14 and and what, uh, one thing for the listener um the second book queen's peril that we're going to talk about as well actually takes place before this so some of our visions of the two books are going to get blurred together uh-huh. And like, I read like, them back to back, so I am going to screw up everything. Yeah. And to be honest, we actually, now that I think about it, should I just read the summary for the second one and then we can just talk? Yeah, go yeah. for it, because then because I don't have to keep really, it straight. They really do kind of blend together, right? So so Queen's Peril, which came out about a year later, uh, takes us back to the times before The Phantom Menace. So what happened is Queen's Shadow came out and I guess did pretty well. And so Johnson was hired to write a follow up. But instead of writing a sequel, she wrote a prequel. Uh, so it takes place uh, before the Phantom Menace to the very first days of Padme's reign. We actually see her waiting the election results. Um, we meet Panaka uh, uh, for the first time as her head of security, and he goes around Naboo recruiting young women like Danny Ocean uh, to serve as the queen's handmaidens. 
We're introduced to, to, to Rabe, Erte, Yane, Sasha, and Sabe. Uh, as Beth said, probably the stars of these books, the uh, Queen's Handmaidens. And we watch as their relationship with Padme develops, the relationship with each other develops. Uh, we watch them create the character that known as Amidala. You know, uh, Padme is is a person. Amidala is an idea, this this queen. And, and they, they work on their security strategy that allows Sabe to impersonate the queen using makeup, wardrobe, and that very infamous Phantom Menace voice, the the the, the Amidala voice. Um, Odd Mace holds a summit for all the planets in the Chamul sector. It, it goes okay, I guess. I don't know. There, not a whole lot comes out of it. Um so the first two thirds of the book are pretty much about this group of young women being women uh, be, or this group of women, women being young women, the girls being girls sneaking out of the house, literally going to concerts, dealing with romance. And all of that is is cool until the Trade Federation comes. And then the last third of this book is actually what I like to call like a lateral prequel uh, to the Phantom Menace, where where it overlaps with Phantom Menace. And it shows us the events of that film through the eyes of Padme and the Handmaidens. With a few check-ins with like Obi-Wan and Maul and even Jar Jar Binks, who doesn't actually speak a line out loud in the book because I don't think Johnson wanted to write any dialogue for him. Good for him. Um, at this point, it turns into basically, if anyone knows the third season of Battlestar Galactica, which I'm totally <laughs> here for. <laughs> yep. And and we follow the handmaidens, uh, uh, the handmaidens that are left on Naboo as they start their own resistance among the Trade Federation's prison camps. Um, Liam Neeson dies like he does. The Trade Federation is defeated. Then Naboo give the Gungans a big giant glowing ball. You know all that stuff. And then in the epilogue, we have a scene with Leia, just Leia, uh, that shows how much she was like her mother, despite never meeting her. I have a big problem with that scene, and that goes back to what I said earlier, which is uh, let her be her own character. Yeah. <laughs> Stop reminding us that she's Leia's mom. We know that. Stop reminding us. But um, so so Queen's Peril does work as a. You know, I remember when I was about halfway reading it, I, I messaged you guys. I was like, this thing's a full on prequel to the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Like it just it just is. It's probably the closest like it's of of the new canon books. It's the most tied into the Phantom Menace. I mean, there there were um, prequels in the expanded universe. There were books that took place right before it. But this book, I mean, this is this is uh, this is as much as we get a prequel to our prequels as we get. Mm-hmm. So. One thing I was really interested in these books, because like you said, Padme in the movies is not a real fleshed out character. And it kind of these books go to do that. But then when I really thought about it, when you watch the prequel movies and what Padme is doing in them, there are very few scenes where Padme is just Padme. It's always almost all of her scenes are either her acting as Amidala or her hiding her relationship with Anakin or her protecting some secret. You don't get a lot of Padme just being herself. And I think that's where part of that kind of blandness in the movies comes in because you don't ever really see her true character for most of it. No. And the only times where she really drops that is her scenes with Anakin. And as we've, well documented those scenes are terrible right yeah so even even in the scenes where she's supposed to just quote unquote be a girl you know and like be with this guy the scenes are so bad and christensen is so bad that like (laughs) you're distracted by his weird feeding her fruit and talking to her about (laughs) sand that you're like get the fuck away from him (laughs) yeah it's really rough and like it's very um but you're correct i mean she does you know, what I like about these books is it does go 
what I liked about it is Johnson must have watched Phantom Menace 400 times when she sat down to write these books. And and she also went through all the deleted scenes and in Attack of the Clones, everything she could find on on Padme, because she because she explains so much of the unexplainable shit in Phantom Menace in this book from, you know, the the said the queen's weird voice, the mm-hmm. um, the 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 whole Sabe um, uh, 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 decoy thing and why they do that. She explains why Panaka is her, her why why Typho is her head of security later on <laughs> instead of Panaka. Why there's a gun in the armrest of that chair? <laughs> Why there's a gun which, in your armrest? There are things that I don't have to have an explanation for. There can just be a gun in the chair. I don't need like two chapters on how they decide to put a gun in the chair. But see, here's what I like though, because it, in these books we find out that, and this is directs to the bat, one of the Battlefront games, is the idea that Naboo has this defensive shield, mm-hmm. right? That wasn't there before. And it was Panaka's idea, and it's one of the things that strained his relationship with Padme, because Panaka is much more militant. And so I thought it was a nice little beat to set up the fact that he was more of an order survival guy, more than more. Uh, you know, he was always pushing her to be a little more militant. Mm-hmm. And, and you kind of see that in that first book, where she starts talking about arming some of the ships, and people yeah. aren't real happy with it. Yeah, yeah. So she, you know, so so I thought it's a little ham-fisted. I'm not gonna lie, but. It, it, it's a little simplistic. However, I liked what it said about the character of Panaka, um, because because, you know, one thing that I, whenever I read anything about Panaka, I have to remind myself he does become an Imperial moth. Um, because at the end of the day, he's loyal to Palpatine. And because he see, he's loyal to Naboo, which and he sees Palpatine as being Naboo. And so he ends up becoming kind of a despot. And, and you can see that in his emphasis on order. And his emphasis on control and what, you know, not wanting these girls to get out of control. And, and even though, you know, in, in the second book, she's his queen and he's still basically yelling at her for for acting like a teenager. Like by like sneaking out of the house, which let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. What what is going on with Naboo? At what point do you look at your government and be like, what we really need here is to elect a teenage girl to run this place. This is a great idea. I'm going to well, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking at the world right now. It may not be a terrible idea. <laughs> in, Maybe not. But in Greta, these Greta, books, Greta, Greta for, for president. In these books, they make it seem like that's like the thing. But, you know, legends books and I guess they're all negated now, but. There, there were plenty of men in charge before, and then all of a sudden it's in can- new canon now. It's all queens. No, it's normal to have a little girl in charge. And oh my God, how dare this girl in her twenties run for queen? Yeah. And well, how they, do you run for queen in the first place? Well, well, first of all, they do establish that the voting age is fourteen. Um, they do establish that in the books, and they also establish that Naboo is known for its prodigies. They, they do talk about that, how it's known for its children being more intellectually advanced than other places. Um, as far as Queen, you know, people have talked about this since, since they found out that she was no longer Queen and, and, and became a senator. Uh, you know, it's just it's just a title for leader. It's just, you know, it's just it's just a title for leader that lets Lucas still use fantasy tropes and ideas like princesses and queens and knights and stuff while 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 uh, appealing to modern sensibilities of democracy 
um, uh-huh. is really all it is. It's just a title. But uh, I, I don't know. I, do, 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 but do the politics – so we're talking about do the politics – that was one of my questions. Do the politics of Naboo make more sense to you after these two books? They do. I mean I think you know, old Silo Bibble obviously runs a lot more than you see in the movies and has a more yeah. like day-to-day kind of running of things. Um, and it came off to me that – yeah, the queen has some political stuff, but in a lot of cases seems to be more of just like a figurehead that sets some general boundaries, but not the day-to-day running of Naboo. Um, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I thought what I thought was interesting is the idea is no one knows who they are. That they mm-hmm. keep, basically keep their family identity secret when they run for queen. Um, uh, and, and that no one actually knows... You know, when she becomes Queen of Daboo, nobody like, you know, other than a few people, nobody knows who she actually is. Like nobody knows her real name, so they can't find her parents. You know, Um, I thought that was kind of interesting, although kind of backfires when you think about her running for Senate. Yeah, because everyone knows she's the ex-queen when she runs for Senate. Uh Uh, But uh, but this, you know, we get this about. So so, so, you know, we, we talked about it. The best thing about these books are the handmaids. What's your favorite handmaiden? Who's your favorite handmaid? Oh, Sabe. <laughs> yeah. Sabe, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, I would like to this. I know we talked earlier in the show about Netflix series. I would like a Sabe television show. Mm-hmm. If you guys can afford, you know, Tom Hiddleston, they can afford Kira Knightley. <laughs> Bring Kira Knightley back. Get a guy to play. What's the guy who ends up kind of her boyfriend at the end? What's the character's name? I forget. No, I don't remember his name. Uh-uh. Um. Anyway, what the guy that she kind of runs off with, he's apparently in he's got like a, a he he was in the battle in the boo like they picked out a guy who he is. But um, actually, he was in the movies. He was played by um, God, some guy from oh the guy that uh, the guy from the Hobbit movies who played like the leader of the dwarves. Richard Armitage, I think. Oh, OK, yeah, he, he, he plays that guy in like two shots in the battle of Naboo is basically an extra. Um, uh, they but, didn't they didn't write him as a big enough character for me to remember his name or even care. It was just this. Hey, there's this guy that Sabe's into Tanra do an espionage. I think it's Tanra. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That um, sounds right. But uh, yeah, he he yeah, he's played by Richard Armitage in Phantom Menace. Um, uh, so I I would love a Sabe show. I think it would be awesome. Uh, again, see the recent con the the current comics. Um. But you talked about uh, 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 the um, let me see, what were you complaining about? Oh, um, I just lost my train of thought. It happens. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, but uh, I don't I don't know. I, I think that he uh, I think that that I also really like you know, there was one problem I had, which was there was in the second book. They portrayed one of the handmaids as like a little girl. Um, is it Sasha? I think Sasha. Yeah. The little blonde girl. Yeah. <laughs> no. Erte was the blonde. Sasha was the little girl. Right. And who gets like tortured and stuff, which is yeah. crazy. But she's played by Sofia Coppola in The Phantom Menace. Yeah. And that does not match up. <laughs> Sofia <laughs> Coppola at that time was is not not like a 12 year old girl. Um, no, but he, George Lucas just threw her in there because she happened to be around on set that day. Yeah. And it's a friend of his, you know, his daughter's friend, his friend's daughter um, and all that stuff. And. And that's absolutely fine. Um, 
But uh, I, I liked all of them. I liked the relationship. I'd like to point out this is probably the first time menstruation is uh, a plot point in a Star Wars book. <laughs> I found that odd and slightly off-putting because I didn't think it was necessary. But it did show how Typho was overly cautious. I liked it because it's it is a young woman, you know, it is a, it is a, a book about teenage girls written by a woman. And so her attempt to kind of normalize, I, I don't know, it, it felt kind of rude. It, but you're right. It showed how he was kind of out of touch by adding blood sensors to their sheets. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like happened. we're constantly reminded that they're young girls. The fact that they menstruate, I didn't think was necessary because they're we've already established they're young girls. Yeah, but whenever anybody, like, you know, I, I listen, do they ever t- talk about people take a shit in Star Wars? Like, this is the closest, like, this is actually a body <laughs> function that they actually acknowledge, you know. Um, Blood so. sensors in the sheets is a straight Prince Zior move. <laughs> <laughs> For, with a whole different motivation, though. Exactly. <laughs> a whole different motivation. Um, I, I didn't, you know, there's definitely like a, you know, I don't mean to push this. There's definitely like kind of a sapphic quality to the handmaidens. Um, Sabe literally kind of falls for a girl in it, right? Yeah. I Sabe think who does, bi. right? Yeah. And then, um, I think a couple of them, others have feelings oh, for no, each I other. I think two of them are a couple. Yeah. By the end of it. Yeah. yeah. And so there's definitely that, you know, I don't know. I really like the handmaidens in this remind me of the, um, the, the, in the, the, whatever they're called in Black Panther. Yeah, the Dora Maja. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of idea. Because we don't, do we ever see them fight in the movies? The Handmaidens? No. <sighs> I'm trying to One think. One of them just gets blown up. Yeah, Corday gets blown up. Are yeah. any of them with her when they go down the hall in Phantom Menace? I don't know. I don't think so. I think she's know. just with. Tr- I think she's just with troops and Panaka. Yeah. Um, but, and then, I mean, they fire some blasters, but I think that's about it. Uh, so Sabe shoots a droid in the head. Yeah. Um, when she's the distraction, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I I loved Sabe in this, especially in Queen's Peril. Uh, like you said, I thought her depiction is someone who has never been the best at anything, but has but has no problem being, you know, but is is good at a lot of stuff, but is not the best at anything, and has a really good um. It is it's completely okay kind of being in the shadows. Uh, but also her, I think the moment that I liked the most in that book, honestly, was when um, they're presenting themselves to the Gungans in the Phantom Menace. And her and Padme have practiced this speech to get the Gungans to join them, and it doesn't work. And so Padme has to step in front, like she, you know, in the movie where she steps in front and tells everybody that, you know, she's really the queen. I thought that was actually a pretty stunning moment of her... Sabe's reaction to that, like realizing she had failed, mm-hmm. you know, or thinking she had failed uh, and then trying to make up for that by the completely impromptu distraction of Newt Gunray um, at the end when she when uh, she shows up in the queen's outfit. Um, so I don't know. I really like seeing behind the scenes of Phantom Menace. I really like just going through like how they showed all the clothes she wears, like how much thought went into all that stuff. And that they're, they go through a lot about talking about how they're easy to switch and they make them lighter and you're wearing like combat uniforms underneath and all sorts of stuff. I thought that was interesting. Some of her hairpins can double as weapons in, in a pinch. Well, yeah. And she's got like, um, escape hatches basically built into her gowns. 
like quick mm-hmm. ways to get mm-hmm. out of them and energy shields and and how yes this whole idea of Amadala the creation to to both lead but also to distract you know they create all these things about Amadala the character so you don't necessarily look at her face um uh so they can use Sabe as a double um this idea of her having to have of the handmaidens kind of being her cuz cuz in in Queen Shadow she wants to be the one and actually that's what we should talk about next is slavery. She <laughs> want, you know, <laughs> she's the one who want, you know, uh, Padme's the one who wants to go free uh Shmi Skywalker, but she can't and so she sends Sabe. Sabe's kind of her proxy out in the galaxy. So it's but, funny, uh, it's funny yeah, that you you, you had something to say, you had something to say about slavery. It's funny that you referred to uh Shmi as the virgin because yeah. while Sabe is looking for her she has obviously been sold off to Klieg Lars and is probably, well, almost definitely not a virgin anymore. Fair. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, that's fair. But, but she is so intent on finding Shmi and getting her freed. Whereas Anakin thinks nothing about her until 10 years later when he starts having nightmares. I promise I'll come free you, Mom. What, what happened to that? Uh, I was busy. The the, the Jedi. I, I was yeah. busy being a Jedi. No, the Jedi happened. The Jedi told him no. Now, We've established to be the, fair, Jedi, the Jedi are assholes. Now, Shmi told him, don't look back. And he took it literally and just never looked back. <laughs> yeah. Just Until nightmares. Going. <laughs> so he looked back once he had nightmares. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that that I, makes I, no sense. And to it me. appears to me, Shmi was life was a whole lot better once Anakin left. So maybe he was yeah. holding her back. Yeah, married. She, 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 ended, up, she ended up. She ended up on a way better I mean, in, until she got killed by Tuscans. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that part kind of sucks. Yeah, but, I'm sure that that was probably terrible. But but, but you know, the years before that were probably lovely with good well, old good old good old Klieg. But you're on Tatooine. I mean, your chances of being killed by Tuscan is probably about the same as like getting pretty high or something. Yeah, you know, yes. it's just something, something happens and people go, yeah, well, yeah, got taken by the Tuscans. As a great, as a great man said recently, it is what it is. Um, so they uh, <laughs> everybody sigh. Yeah, we're still we're still in it. Uh, yeah, if you listen to this I'm, in the future, we're still in the middle of COVID. Um, I am very bothered by, and I appreciate that Padme is concerned about this and i appreciate that about her character that they build for her in this story but it does not gel with me with what is happening in the movies mm-hmm. I, I think partly what johnson's doing is confronting that is saying like well someone has to care <laughs> yeah yeah because the jedi don't care clearly about no. people living in slavery until no. they do in, in a certain book, they do. In a certain movie, they don't. And in certain books, they don't. Well, I think I think in this case, or, or it's more the Republic doesn't care. And the Jedi have become so um, connected and intertwined with the Republic's business that they're like, oh, we can't mess with that, even though they probably they are anti-slavery. However, they also are so like Republic's butt monkeys at this point that since the republic's like well that's not part of the republic we can't do anything about it like was was that floating like was wado <laughs> i was trying to find an insult for wado but <laughs> was well, wado gonna stop qui-gon jinn from walking away with shimmy skywalker did no one ever think yeah. to check to check shmi's midichlorians and go 
Well, she gave birth to this dude with the huge midichlorian count. Maybe we should check her out, too. She's way too old to train. I I agree. She was but, like she was like 35. But they like, might they might have made a difference in whether or not they chose to free her. You think Qui-Gon would have left her there if she'd had a really high midichlorian count? I just don't know why Qui-Gon doesn't. Uh, again, we talked about how much we've come to like the Phantom Menace and here we are ripping it apart. I he. he Yes, there's no reason why Qui-Gon couldn't have been like, I'm taking both of them. What are you going to do, little yeah. man? Like, yeah, just I got a lightsaber. lightsaber and walk away. Now, and yeah. I always I mean, read this. It's not a moral thing. He already cheated to to with the Force Cube. He already did, made this Sophie's Choice and picked the boy over <laughs> her anyway. Like, yeah, it's 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 weird. It's yeah. weird. The, the, the slavery thing is in Star Wars is weird. And I always got the feeling from Phantom Menace, and maybe it's just me, that Qui-Gon was into Shmi Skywalker. Like, there's something there. Yeah, there, there's a little flirting happening. That's awesome. I, I like the scene in um, Peril where uh, Shmi and, and, and Amidala actually got a little scene together, which I oh, thought. Oh, yeah, I did. I did, too. Nice. Like the night before the race. Um, uh, I, I, I liked how it kind of like I said I enjoyed because there's that big ruse and Phantom Menace about, you know, uh, Sabe pretending to be. Uh, uh, Amandala, I liked seeing the decision process for the other side of that. Um, I thought I thought that was kind of cool, maybe unnecessary, but still kind of cool. No, I, I I actually liked it because I felt like it added more to Shmi and Padme, and Shmi yeah. needs a lot of help with the characterization. Shmi is another one who never uh, got you know. Now she's not one of our leads, so I can kind of forgive it. Uh, but you're right, she. Um, uh, Shmi never ended up being super well-rounded um, as a character. She was just the kind of ethereal-ish mom, you know, who knew she had a special boy, I guess, um, who's willing to let these strangers walk away with him. Yeah. Now, maybe it's because I don't have kids that I just don't oh, get that. <laughs> I would totally give my kids away. No. Yeah. No, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> I, I don't, if, I if don't you're a slave, my... though. Yeah, I guess. Like, yeah, no, it did happen just, in American slavery. That would happen. Of course. I just yeah. don't see myself like handing over. Well, you've got a magic sword, so I guess take my kid. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to guess maybe Lucas just didn't think out the slavery thing too much. It was just maybe he just didn't think about it too much. Maybe it was just, yeah, yeah they're slaves. Yeah. I'm just saying it's possible. Sometimes you just, you know. Uh, it's not his job to nitpick. It's ours. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, he's just like, yeah, he's a slave. That gives him a nice tragic background. Let's keep going, you know. Um, but you're right. It does seem. But I, I like the idea of Sabe and what's his name? Uh, uh, Tanra uh, going off and uh, trying to basically end slavery on Tatooine. Um, one slave at a time. One slave at a time. It doesn't go super well. I would argue uh, it definitely doesn't go super well, but uh, yeah, it, it is kind of an interesting, I don't know. It's a weird part of the book. I, I don't yeah. disagree. I don't disagree. You know who I was happy to see in this book, which is kind of funny is old rush Clovis being just as much of a jackass as he is on. Clovis. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we got to see kind of uh, the beginning of their relationship. Yeah. And um, a little bit of flirtation, a little bit of romance between them, kind of. Oh, on his side. On his side, yes. Yeah, that'll that comes out. No, also, what's what's the uh, the Rodian senator's name? Um, oh, uh, her her father's friend. I don't remember his name. Yeah, um, Far is it last name? Far. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Far. Onakata. 
Oda Kotafar. He shows up, which is nice. So so this book, if you're looking for uh, uh, for references to other Star Wars material, this book is full of them. Just just full of them all the way through. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I like seeing Clovis. Uh-huh. Uh, I liked it showed, you know, her and Mon Mothma didn't have a great relationship at first. Um, uh, Which oh, is I, I liked how uh, Bale, her and Bale came together. Yeah. I thought that was really well done and it explained a lot about because uh, it was Attack of the No, Revenge of the Sith when they're sitting in the same little pod together. It's like, wait, they're that tight? They're in the same pod? This yeah. comes, this gives me a lot of why they are so close. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, that they're very good friends. At the very end, when uh, of the first book, when uh, Sabe and uh, and uh, I forgot his name already again, Tondra, Tondra, uh, they decide. Wait, wait, but before they go off, uh, Sabe gets a call from Bail Organa, and that's where the book ends. What do we think that call was for? I have an idea. Well, he's he's gonna have to ask her to join up. Do you think he needs someone to train Leia? It could be, but you don't see could her in be. the Leia book. It's true. So she's well, not there. That's a good point, yeah. But or, gee, we just don't know. There are Legends books that have already had a Leia protector who was completely hidden. Yeah. yeah. So she brought her in to protect Leia or or it, yeah, or brought her into the alliance. Like, it, it could be a character character that just hasn't been introduced in the Leia book because she was so behind the scenes you didn't see her. Yeah. Or we're going to get a story where she's living in a hut a couple of miles away and it'll be Kenobi part two. Could be. Yeah, but she's living on a much nicer planet. That's oh, true. No, she got the plum gig. <laughs> but that or Tatooine, like if, if her job is just to hang out, like. I mean, the lakes and everything. And yeah. Have you guys ever watched those deleted scenes from um, uh, Attack of the Clones that take place at Padme's parents' house? Yes. They're actually, ago, but they're actually... I think they're better than the ones in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Less, they're less cringeworthy, at least. Um, and I find them really interesting. I saw a fan edit that it put all of those in and cut back on the ones that are in the movie, and it plays a lot better. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you know, it's like he just picked the wrong scenes. Um, but you get all that stuff with her parents and her sister and her house and kind of her history of uh, humanitarian work, which a lot of that is covered in uh, Queen Shadow, um, kind of uh, her saving different planets and refugees and things like that. That's all mentioned in those scenes. I really think she took a lot out of those scenes mm-hmm. to try to figure out who Padme was. Because like we were talking about, she, you know, so many people, she's just... If you just took the names away, you would, it would be impossible to tell the difference between her and Leia in the way she's written. Mm-hmm. Um, so Leia is just cooler and tougher. But um, uh, yeah, I thought. Uh, um, but yeah, I thought that was really neat. So um, another thing I liked is yeah, yeah, that end scene before Bail Organa. There's a talk where they're going through her notes that she left about what she was going to do or what she was working on. And they are stuff that would put her directly in conflict with Anakin. Um, you know, there's notes about kicking Palpatine out, um, about dissolving the clone army and making them, you know, giving them personhood, I think is how they put it. Um, there's a bunch of like overriding the Senate for slavery. Like, I think that's interesting. Like, if the end of 
Revenge of the Sith doesn't happen, I don't think they're still together anymore because she was at odds with what he was doing. Oh, yeah. She definitely had the makings of kind of a populist leader mm-hmm. is, is what it, it felt like. That, that even if, you know, uh, Palpatine, had, Palpatine had still taken over, but she hadn't died and maybe it had gone down differently. She still, yeah, she would have been a very vocal opponent, clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. They no, her and, Anakin, and her and Anakin, though, even in the movies, they disagreed on some of that stuff. You right. Know, um, on on on. The use of force and, and his uh, hatred of politicians, you know, that he expresses in Attack of the Clones. He's not a fan of politicians no. and because he doesn't like all the talking. Right. He doesn't. He, that's what he basically says. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't oh, like all the he, he says in Attack of the Clones, what if he, he wishes just one person would take control mm-hmm. and make the decisions so that we weren't always bickering about. Them. Obviously, she's the exact opposite. Oh. Which, once again, I have never 100% figured out why she loves Anakin. I Even, don't know how, he, how he came to that. But. I don't there's, know. Uh, there has not been anything satisfying in any, obviously, movie uh, or book that has explained to me how they come together. Now, I know there there's a third book, I think, planned. I hope so. I, I and, and it's got to take place between two and three, right? Well, it right. has to because it has to explain how she meets back up with Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and hopefully explore her feelings about Corday dying because clearly Corday dies for her. She does, yes. And explain why is she so uncomfortable around Jedi and then is suddenly comfortable with Anakin and Obi-Wan being there when she wasn't comfortable with anyone but Qui-Gon. Now, is she uncomfortable with Jedi, or is she uncomfortable with the one that stares at her all weird when with she meets her? <laughs> well, no, she yeah. she said that she she didn't she felt weird about Jedi. Yeah, she did. Yeah, it was weird being around Jedi for the first time since. Yeah, you know, like, uh, I mean, Deepa's kind of creepy, but, but also, yeah. yeah, she's creepy. Yeah, but no, I I listen. You're not going to argue with me. They've never ever 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 hatched the the figured out the relationship. They've well, never, see guys, never cracked it. When a man loves a woman and they yeah. roll in the tall grass with weird CGI <laughs> buffalo in the background, <laughs> love blooms. Lar- large, <laughs> large, engorged megaticks. Um, <laughs> they ride around. And, they, and when a man force feeds you food, literally with capital F, force feeds you, <laughs> which I believe is a Ryan joke from years oh. ago, from a while back. Um, you know, there's something romantic about it. And then when you slaughter a whole village of people, I mean, I mean how, how I want to get in his pants. To be fair, she wanted to free the slaves. She was upset <laughs> no one had done anything on Tatooine. Anakin took care of business. It's true. That that is true. He did kind of, you know, it, it is. After reading these books, you do realize that scene is partially her fault. Yeah, if she had gotten her shit together and taken care of it, he wouldn't have to go. She had got Shmi out of there in time. Mm-hmm. Then, it's all your uh, fault. Yeah, then, you know, so she, so maybe, you know, going back to the whole scene, she's going like, oh, shit, should I tell him? No, I shouldn't tell him. <laughs> no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell him. He might kill me. I'm not going to tell him. Uh, but yeah, no, they've never figured it out. And that's why I, I'm trying to, with these books especially, I'm trying to uh, evaluate the character on her own and not as Anakin's wife, not as Leia's daughter, or sorry, definitely not as Leia's daughter, 
not as Leia's mother. Um, uh, just tr- trying to understand, trying to take this character, which, you know, she's an important character. <laughs> you know, it's not just like, I agree with you on Natalie Portman. Don't get me wrong. But she's an important character in this whole thing, not just as uh, the, the the mother of Luke and Leia, but but of her place in the greater story, in the galactic story. She's a huge character, and she's always been this kind of blank that they yeah. figure out. Now, a book that takes place between two, between two and three will be interesting because we've got a lot of Padme between two and three. It's called The Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to see more of leading into two. And right. what happens to her during to to make her think that, you know what, this creepy asshole is the guy for me. It would take it would take a writer of unfathomable talent to make to pull that off. But uh, I'd yeah. like to see some reaction on her to Palpatine, like where he ends up and like having to wrestle with. Yeah, I put him there like this is my fault. You know, she called for the no confidence vote. She set all the dominoes in place. Um, so I'd be interested to see that from her perspective. I liked Palpatine in these books. I liked seeing him uh, arguing in the Senate against things that he was actually doing. Like he, he had the Trade Federation stuff that he had set in the motion, and then he's publicly arguing against it. I liked seeing kind of his plan. Yeah, and then he's calling the other one and being like, look, this is going to kind of go through, but not really. So yeah, <laughs> just chill yeah. out. <laughs> What did you think about the fact that Maul had planned the entire fight in uh uh I, I did not like that. I like the idea of him choosing his hunting ground. Mm-hmm. I didn't like how how detailed he got. It it was too thought out to me. Like I, I enjoyed it better when it would just happen to work out to Maul's benefits for a minute i just felt like making it maul's entire plan the whole time just makes it all the more stupid when he fails immediately see i thought it was interesting because and i definitely watched phantom menace since then and it makes sense because as a sith and all the other ways you see maul fight he does not back up like watching when he fights ahsoka whenever they show him on clone wars or rebels um, you never see him in a retreat when he's fighting somebody except in the Phantom Menace. And so it makes total sense that he is set up and knows where he's going to, you know, make his kill floor. And he's constantly moving back into that position. I think it makes the fight a little more interesting. I have not watched it from that perspective, but I, I might try it now. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I, I like the idea. I did. I'm not, I mean, maybe, Again, Johnson was doing a lot of explaining. Maybe she was trying to explain those weird ass red gateway things. Um, Which uh, still doesn't make sense. What? Eh. None. There it's, is no OSHA in the Star Wars galaxy. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. And again, it's so funny we started off talking about how we kind of like Phantom Menace. Um, is that uh, I hate it when a movie sets up its own rules and then fails them. Uh, one of the first things we see the Jedi do in Phantom Menace is do that speed run thing. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he speed run through there? He was concentrating. Because Star, oh. because Star Wars. Yeah. Well, no, he, he dramatically it's better. Either. I get it. 
of the sh- little shutty door. So he was afraid that he'd be speed running and one would just chop him right in half, which would have been hilarious. But <laughs> it would have been awesome. Um, it would have we would have had to get that clone everyone's always been talking about with Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, remember that when people thought that uh, Obi Wan was a clone that that we were going to learn that in the prequels. Um, I mean, so let's talk about the worst part in both books. Uh oh. Because it's only one sentence. <laughs> Uh-oh. And, and that sentence is, a boy saw an angel. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, the there book. are three sentences <laughs> that completely took me out of the book every single time. Oh. A boy saw an angel. Anakin liked to fly. <laughs> Why Anakin, Anakin really liked to fly. Okay, I, I'm going to defend... Ugh. I'm going to defend a boy like like Son Angel. For, I'm going to defend it in this point. You knew exactly what moment she was depicting without having to do anything else. But I don't care. I know you don't care, but she's telling the story of the Phantom Menace. And yeah. But Anakin's a different point, of, point of view doesn't have to be in there because we no. get that he saw that because he says it. I would I, like a sentence that says, a queen saw a creepo little kid that wouldn't leave her alone. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I just thought, like... Again, I, I could have done without it, but I thought it was a um, very shorthand way to evoke that moment. Uh, and we we didn't need anything more than that once you have that. I agree it's a little cheesy. I get what she was doing with the Anakin love to fly. I, I get what she was doing. Um, but you're right. Maybe it wasn't necessarily to dip into Anakin's point of view. Um, but during those last chapters, she kind of jumped in a lot of people's point of view. You know, yeah. uh, we, we get Jar Jar's thoughts. We get Obi-Wan's thoughts. We get Maul's thoughts. Um, so we really do, you know, she really does break her point of view in that last act, in that last uh, third, and turns it into this, yeah, I don't know, it, I'm not going to say better version of The Phantom Menace, but she just turns it into this, like, retelling of The Phantom Menace. But and, in every other version, in every movie, in every many, many books, we get Anakin's point of view. Yeah. A oh, lot. I, I, we didn't need any more of Anakin's point of view. I agree. No, I agree. I said it didn't bother me as much as it bothered you guys, but I understand where you're coming from. But uh, I just think she was trying to create the tapestry of the Phantom Menace without. Um, she's trying to keep the story alive in your head as far as like, I think what she's trying to do, honestly, especially with um the Anakin loves flying partially. It's just, just trying to keep the timeline in your head. So you know where you are in the movie, Yeah, you know, and, and without having to go too much into it, she's just trying to say like, Oh, in this part, Anakin's up in the ship, mm-hmm. you know, so that we know exactly where we are again, may not be necessary, but I do believe that's the intent. It's just to tether us, um, uh, it to the timeline, uh, to the familiar timeline of the movie. Uh, to well, know where we are here. Or could it be the fact that these books are very, very light on action? And so she's trying to remind us of the fact that there's some action happening. Remember yeah. Uh, action's happening. Well, that was one of my last things I wanted to ask real quick. These books are light on action. They're also light on plot. Um, These are not heavily plotted novels. Neither one of them. Um. Yeah. What one can ex- maybe the last half hour? I keep saying half hour. The last last third of Peril has more plot because it's someone else's plot. But but these books are more they're a little more episodic, I would say. Um, normally a Star Wars novel like this, even if it's like a story of a character when they're younger, there would be a villain, you know, 
and there would be kind of an, um, a storyline that kind of snakes through it all that that ends up kind of coming to bear. I mean, the Leia novels do that, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, where there's there's still like an adventure. story. this has like none of the adventure story in it until you get to Phantom Menace. Like neither one of these books. I think it's I don't know if it's my biggest criticism, but I think it's uh, I don't think it's I don't know if it's a negative thing, but it did strike me with both books that like a whole lot of plot going on. Um, I mean, Ahsoka doesn't have a whole lot of action in it until the end either. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and that just made maybe that's not something she's interested in writing. Well, and I think part of it is, you know, they are YA novels, so it's not going to be the real complicated Star Wars plot. Um, No, yes, absolutely. Well, there's like Hunger Games is YA, too, and there's a lot of people killing each other. It's true. There are a lot. It it can be done. Yeah. No, and, and and there can be. I just felt like and I'm not saying it's inappropriate for what she was telling. I think it's probably right for the story she's telling. Um uh it, you know, said uh, Queen's Peril ends up being like a war movie, you know, with the the showing them infiltrating the Thede Palace and the the um the small kind of resistance they're waging in the prison camps, which I said was part of my favorite part of that book was the prison camps. Yeah. And um the you know so there's probably like it, it probably just doesn't interest her for the other stuff and she's not trying to i think she's doing what we're talking about she's trying to just make padme a good character right and, and if you really want to see the big fights that are taken on you just go turn on disney plus and watch the phantom menace and, and watch it's... a bunch of others and a bunch of episodes of clone wars where she's in them firing a blaster and you know uh, her and it's the one where her and jar jar get lost together or something to get a stranded on a planet or something is that bombad general i don't remember oh i speak of action do you think they teach the grappling gun in naboo elementary school <laughs> because they're all they really must good at them and like i think if you gave me one of those i'd probably kill myself <laughs> but like they're like we're you absolutely would kill yourself we're gonna you sink out to would. the rock show <laughs> did you notice there was one moment where one of them taught padme how to pick a lock yeah yeah. Which uh, works, re- which uh, pays into uh, Attack of the Clones when she picks the lock to get out of her handcuffs in the arena. Wow. So, so there was a whole lot of like, just all right, what's the look? Why would this woman who's been a queen in the center? Why would she know how to pick a lock unless? So they like go, you know, there's a lot of retconning going on. Uh, I'd say, um, but I think but, most of it fairly healthy. Yeah, hey, that's what uh, Canon books are for—is retconning stuff to make sense. <laughs> Well, yeah, because and and I think reasonably the movies movies uh, here's the secret about movies movies you have to make sense to be good. Mm-hmm. Well, I never questioned why she knew how to pick a lock. She seemed fairly self sufficient. I just assumed, yes. you know, that's that's a thing self sufficient women do in this galaxy. Yeah, I was saying, so so are you? Do you know how to pick a lock? Uh, actually, I took a class at SpyCon two years ago. <laughs> Probably asking the wrong woman. Fair enough. Um, there you go. <laughs> that, that, I didn't even know SpyCon was a thing. We'll talk about. Oh, that it's later. a thing. Um, it's an awesome thing. Yeah, but uh, but no, it just. But you're right. It, it definitely. Um, uh, that's what a lot of these books do. And and movies just. You know, I always tell people all the time. Casablanca is one of the greatest movies of all time, and the plot makes zero sense. The plot is actually incredibly flawed and does not hold up to scrutiny for one second. But it doesn't matter because it's awesome. Because the character are awesome and the dialogue's awesome. So with with movies, like you, you know, it's more about visceral than it is about intellectual. So, uh, but yes, a lot of Star Wars novelists have gone back. I mean, hell, Rogue One is like, why would they leave an exhaust port on the Death Star? 
they got blow up the whole thing. Well, let's let's go back and say it was on purpose. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 so yeah, that is kind of the the job of these books, I guess, is to make is to make this fantastical galaxy that we see in the movies um into some, a, a more of a real place. I'd say, you know, it the the what I love about Star Wars books is it grounds this place. It makes it real. Yeah. You see people. I guess that's why I didn't mind the menstruation stuff is because it made it feel like real girls. You I know? think the rock show really did that too. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen that in a star Wars book where they just sneak out to go to a show. Yeah. It made sense. Like, yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. And, and, and they partially, they went cause Sabe had a crush on the girl that invited them, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, you know, they're all worried about their dad catching them and they have this big plan how to sneak out, you know, like I, and I guess that's the part where the girl that, that it's during that adventure is when uh, the girl trips the uh, blood sensing sheets <laughs> So it kind of it almost I guess that's why I like that part is because it all felt like part of this teenage girl adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all wrapped up in this teenage girl adventure. Well, you know, grumpy dad Panaka, you know, but the only difference is one of the one of those teenage girls is the queen of the whole damn planet. <laughs> so but, but I like that, though, because because I was thinking that when they got back from sneaking out, the Panaka was going to yell at him. I'm like, bitch, you're the queen. Yeah. Right? Tell him we're here. here. And she kind of does. Mm-hmm. she does pull rank and she's like listen i know but i'm still the queen right like you know like like, like we're gonna have a good relationship here but i'm gonna do shit you don't like and uh you're gonna have to live with that and i like that i love panaka's wife um yeah oh i do too yeah miriam mariac god I don't know how you say that one. All these names i love the uh, I, see, there are so many little details in here i love the fact that they picked all of their um the handmaids all pick their names to sound alike on purpose. Yeah, there's lots of little good stuff like that, like sending Padme out every once in a while to do stuff just so people would just get used to seeing her in a robe and not think about her. Like, yeah, yeah she's the one that just goes and gets books sometimes. She's she's their page. She's yeah. Their page, yeah. Yeah. And 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 yes, I, I never thought about that, that actually, yeah, Padme is the fifth handmaiden. Mm-hmm. There's the sixth handmaiden. Right. There's 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 five handmaidens and a queen, but sometimes Padme is one of the handmaidens. And and yeah, no, I that was the thing I loved. And you're right, the, the wardrobe and, you know, I, I really, you know, as much as I, I did like the Phantom Menace stuff in, in Queen's Peril, I like the putting the team together stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like I enjoy a good putting the team together, except for the first half of Alphabet Squadron. Um, <laughs> uh, well, no, that's why I think that the the prequel was more successful, because I just found myself caring much more about the original handmaidens than I did the, the later ones, the, the senator's handmaidens were not as compelling to me because the, the way that they got the first handmaidens together and handpicked them and trained them, that was much more explained and it, they felt more close and more tightly knit. Okay. So you write them close together. What do you think about the order of the books? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question to kind of end on is is was this successful doing them in this order? It it felt wrong to me the way I read them because I did read them back to back quite literally. I read The Queen's Shadow and immediately went into Queen's Peril and I was like, "Wait, this is this isn't the right order. I I needed to see the other book first. I needed to see The Queen's Peril first before I got into The Queen's Shadow so I understood who Sabe was, what she was doing, why she was doing it. So I I know that she wrote 
probably the Queen's Shadow not knowing if she would get to write a sequel or not. And there's probably a reason that she didn't go forward and she went backwards instead. But it just felt off to me. And I get why you guys don't agree. But reading them back to back the way I did, I felt like I would have cared more about everybody if I'd read them in reverse order. I don't I don't disagree. I liked Queen's Peril a lot more than I liked Queen's Shadow. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Partially, partially be one, because I just think, you know, second try, you know, she, you know, she gets another stab at it and, and I think does a slightly better job. And I also think that but that you're right, though, I think the characters are more compelling. Uh, I think the handmaidens are the the coming together of the handmaidens is far more interesting than it is in the second book or in the original book. I said and I, I I, but I agree with you. I think she was just, um, you know, she got hired to write a book. She wrote it and it was successful enough to make a sequel. And then she told another story she wanted to tell. And in the future, people will just read them in the right order. You know, like because after I finished Queen's Peril, I went back and listened to the audiobook of Queen's Shadow because I hadn't read it. Well, I mean, I hadn't read it in a year because it came out last year. But uh, and I reread and I, I listened to it again. And yeah, it made a lot it was much more satisfying the second time knowing what i knew from queen's peril what did you think ryan so i definitely read you know i read both right when they came out and i think i kind of liked you know getting introduced to sabe later right and then you get that excitement you know like you do with something like better call saul where like all right here's where she came from because I had that knowledge already that I like this character, so it makes me more invested to want to know where she came from and how we got to that point. No, and and that and that's absolutely fair. It is. Um, I I probably would have preferred them in the other order, but it's hard for me to really tell. I mean, I can I can it, for the purposes of this discussion, it's been a little gray about what happens in each book. Um, mm-hmm. like timeline wise, I know. But uh, it's just there's little de- I was like, I don't know what book this detail came out of or this detail came out of because they're kind of one one thing. And that's all right, though. They are kind of one piece. And I'm hoping we get that third book that kind of runs it out. Now, I'd argue, is this would you say and I'm a, I'm saying this because I believe this. Is this the best depiction you've seen of Patton made no bear? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh- the only other depiction I've seen of hers in the movies and uh, Thrawn Alliances. <laughs> Neither well, one of those a, were good. She, she's been in other books. She's been in comics. She was on Clone Wars. Uh, you know, I never well, thought she really made an impact on Clone Wars. She didn't. Know. They they pretended to try and flesh her out. They did not. She's barely in the final season, right? She's got like a cameo in the final season. Yeah, um, she's a hologram. And not in person. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. It's a hologram. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I ended up. Do you think and I guess this question more for Beth. Beth, did you think having a woman write it helped? I did have you? no idea. I'm just uh, wondering because it just seems like this is the first time I can think of where a woman because they've done this lately. Right. Claudia Gray with Leia, um, A.K. Johnson now with with uh, Padme, where they've given, you know, women writers a chance to write the female characters. And um, I, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that no. this is a better depiction, right? No. Um, Shwek, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't a female writer also write Phasma? Delia Dawson. Yes. 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 
So I, I do think there is a trend of better writing for women by women. I don't think writing women by men is impossible. Thank you. Because Joss Whedon has proved it. Ahem. Sorry. Um, and know. Chad Shonk has proved it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it is not impossible, but I don't think it has to be YA to be a woman. Yeah. I mean, I think things like the scenes where they're just together alone and they're sneaking out and things like that. I mean, I definitely think a woman's voice is better able to capture that, which sounds like a horrible stereotype, I know. But it's not, though. I mean, it, but it's, it's not. It's yeah. it's true. You you don't as men, you don't know what it's like to sneak out of the house as a 14 year old girl. Right. No, I, I like there was a moment that I really loved in peril where um, her Sabe's come back late from the club because she was out, I don't know, making out with that girl and or whatever. And she comes back and Padme in her having a problem because Padme doesn't. Oh, no, it wasn't that it was it was later where Padme gets confused for Sabe by the by the girl that Sabe yeah. likes. And, and Padme starts kind of a, to get a little jealous. And, yeah, and Padme's a dick to her. Right? Yeah. And kind of kind of wrecks that relationship. And her and Sabe, you know, get into it with each other, and they're not happy with each other. But then Sabe kicks the one girl out of bed and says, I'm sleeping with the queen tonight. Mm-hmm. Because she, know, cause she knows she's like, this is still my queen. This is still my boss. And we're, we're you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to work all this out right away. But this kind of like... This idea, like you would never see a book where it was princes and they were like sleeping in the same bed, uh-huh. you know, like like the, the the fact that like they were all kind of almost they're all kind of sisters together, and no matter how mad they were at each other, you know, the the idea that she's like, you know, get out of here, I'm sleeping in here tonight, and no one objects. Um, I thought I thought the relationship between the six of them was just very sweet and powerful. And I'd like to see more of that, you know, uh-huh. unfortunately, there's not unfortunately, there's not a whole lot more to tell with her, or those handmaidens, because uh, things kind of go to shit pretty quick. They start getting blowed up. Yeah, yeah I mean, or, or, you know, by the end of the story, Phantom Menace happens, right? But then a Queen's Peril, Phantom Menace happens and she's not now. Apparently, she's queen for like another four years. Right. Well, who who even is the one who dies in Thrawn Alliances? I don't even know who that is. Oh, yeah. Did they make her up for that one? They made her up. Zahn made her up, right? Yeah. So I didn't care when she died. No, not that one. No, because that was just... Although that was one of the first books I will give it to give us the idea of the Handmaidens being kind of her agents, right? Yeah. Um, But, uh, you know, where is it? It's, um... Yeah, I don't remember her name. But, uh... (laughs) Padme's See, that's mission. how little she matters. No, uh, Duja. Yes. Duja. Um, which, by the way, doesn't work with the rhyming. Nope. <laughs> in gen- it, does- it doesn't work with the names in general. Um, but uh, her only appearance is in Throne Alliances. So she's never been mentioned before. Not that I'd look at. at least according to Wikipedia, and I believe everything but- Wikipedia tells me. I do too, but she's she's canon, so no, she is, and and well, the idea too that she would have handmaidens as a senator is kind of her own invention, right? There were no, you know, they're supposed to be. But just she also for had far fewer. Yes, 
Well, she was, I believe it says in the books that traditionally the queen of Naboo only has one handmaiden. And right, and they weren't like ninjas. <laughs> no, this no the fact them them turning into bodyguards is Panaka's thing. Right, right, because Panaka's kind of paranoid, right? And Milton, he's I mean, we're talking at a time when she's when she's a, when she's put in uh, when she's coronated, like Naboo's in a fairly peaceful place, right? They said the last time the queen had more than one handmaiden was back when they were fighting a war with the Gungans, uh-huh. and so. You know, the fact that Panaka, like, see, feel shit's about to go down or I don't know. But but he I think he's just a paranoid man who's obsessed with security and 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 he's afraid. And so he puts that onto her and he creates this. Yeah, he gives her this army of ninjas <laughs> to, you know, everyone with their own specialty. Um, I also like the emphasis on Naboo as an artistic planet. It's yeah. always interesting. Like they're all like musicians and actors and stuff. Um, well, it gives them a good excuse for not having any kind of planetary defense before Phantom yeah. Menace. Well, and it also shows, you know, the um, her, uh, you know, this is why this one's good at sewing the costumes, and this is why this one's good at impersonating her, right? And and things like that. You know, they those skills are more valuable um, than than being a you know than than being a soldier would be. Um, in this situation so cool so uh i don't know uh to to wrap it up i i love these books and and i i I agree with the flaws but i was so glad to get books about this character that i truly liked and um and uh, i'm looking forward to the next one beth you were a little lukewarm on them right i liked the queen's peril much more than i liked the queen's shadow Agreed. Agreed. And I am interested to see what the next book brings because I want to see her perspective because obviously she's so uncomfortable around Jedi. I want to see her perspective on when she's assigned some Jedi. And I would how, like to see it. Yeah. how she comes to, oh, hey, I've been trying to save your mom for the last however many years. And um, what you been up to? If E.K. Johnson can write us a novel that makes us believe the relationship between Anakin and Padme, she will be the new queen of Star Wars. <laughs> Step <laughs> aside, will, Claudia Gray. She, she will be no, she will be no, she'll be up there with Lucas and Filoni for me. Like if she can make if she can convince me of that. Um, Ryan, what did you think? I mean, look, you put Natalie Portman on the cover of a book I'm in, <laughs> <laughs> but I am glad that. They have fleshed out more than I just think Natalie Portman is smart and pretty, and now she has more of a character. But I thought they were well written, you know. I I thought they were good. Cool. Uh, so uh, that's about it for these books. Uh, I, I think when the third one comes out, we'll probably talk about that. I'd be I'd be interested in doing that. Um, but that's not coming anytime soon. But next week, what are we gonna do? What are we What are we reading next time? Next, not next week. We're not coming out weekly. I get that. What, what's, <laughs> yeah. what's next? What's next? So on the next episode, we will be covering Shadowfall, Alphabet Squadron Part B. <laughs> get it, folks? That's an alphabet joke. <laughs> 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 and as you read it, you know what? I'll go ahead and tell you now. If you haven't done it, get through the first one. The second one is a great improvement. Oh, so so much don't better. let the throw, first one throw you off. Yeah, I haven't started it yet, but I'm, I'm excited. Oh, to it's so go. good. 
I've got the audio book. I don't have any long drives ahead of me, so I'm just going to have to. I can't wait to talk home. about this one. Okay, excellent. Well, that's exciting. Um, I'll, I'll dive into it. So, cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining tonight, and we will talk to all of you again soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.